This is season three, episode one, actually, of the Formed by Jesus podcast. This season, we're going to talk about the art of simplicity. Uh, Other people throughout history have called this the discipline of frugality. And so usually we have the four messages, me and Pastor Caleb review the four messages, and then we begin to have conversations with people about them applying the practice. I wanted to kind of throw a curveball on this one because my best man at my wedding, my cousin, is in town from Tennessee. You last time you were here was a decade ago on my wedding day. Absolutely. Yes. So with that, it's like, let's take advantage of you being here. So spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines, just to catch you up what we're doing at our church. We're doing a couple year journey. It's turning into like five now. We first said two. We identified nine practices. I think we now have 10 practices of Jesus, you know, emulating his lifestyle. So in February, we started with Sabbath. And then uh, in May, we did the scripture series. And so the idea is, is four weeks on each practice. And then the next eight weeks, we're sharing stories. And it's not success stories, right? Because so many of us were just starting. So it's experiment stories, right? Here's my theory with Passion Creek Church, what we're trying to do right now. Um, we have nine. We just added a tenth, kind of like emotional health practice. where like when you do something with like conflict resolution, peacemaking, this has to be a part of the piece of the pie. So we're adding that as the tenth. Um, but my theory is that there's three practices that are like the gateway to all the other practices. And I think they're different per era, right? And so GK Chesterton has this quote that the saints who affect the like society the most are the ones who most contradict it. And so it's looking at culture and going, okay, what are the things that are so anti way of Jesus? We need to start there. And from there, we can be released from the prisons of, of the sinful lifestyle, uh, all of that, whatever. And um, we can begin to experience that true freedom in Christ, right? And so I think a lot of us, we're trying, in my theory, is that we, we do have some practices that culture's fine with. And so we just focus on those. And it kind of just makes sense with a American lifestyle. But really, we're not experiencing freedom because we're still living under these other lies, right? And so for us, the three I, I can totally be convinced that I'm wrong. But what we're kind of looking at is the first three. We started with Sabbath because I think our whole tagline is to be um, the way of rest in a world of hurry, right? Hurry is, is a huge issue, right? We can't pray because we're always on the run. We can't even look at the needs of our neighbor because we're rushing to the next soccer practice. Um, we can go on and on, right? The anxiety everybody feels, just nonstop nagging anxiety. Why? You're always hurrying. Um, So we said a lot during that series, we block the Holy Spirit when we walk in a hurried spirit, you know, and so we need to slow down. Um, But we do see people in culture that are tapping into that idea of rest as well. They're not attaching it to the way of Jesus. So you and I would argue it's, it's not the full picture. They're missing out on full abundance. But there's still something about being a human living in the way of Jesus, even in different parts. So like, if you don't believe in Jesus, but you have begun to adapt, adopt practices that slow you down, you're saying your life will be better because Jesus's way of life is just the best way a human can live. So if you even just, this is, I would never suggest this to anybody, but we have to admit, yeah, there can be these minimalist, minimalist people or rest, you know, uh, you know, the, the synagogue, the, the Jewish people who Sabbath, there is like data upon data, the seventh day of Venice. There's just so much data that says resting is good for you. You're tapping into, it's the way Dallas Willard framed it. I think really, compelled both of us. It's ultimate reality. What Jesus is pointing out, uh, whether it's in the gospel of Matthew or in his teachings in general, he is pointing to the way 
that reality truly is. Yes. And so there are bits and pieces, right? It rains on the just and the unjust. Like we see this thematically throughout all of scripture. Um, but I think it's very easy to go, okay, I've got part of it, but there's something missing, right? Yes. There's there's like, I've, I've got it 90% of the way there, but like it's true meaning is missing. And so I think what's happening is people are tapping into ultimate reality. And of course you're going to reap the benefits of that. Anytime you embrace the truth. Mm-hmm. It is always it the best of all possible outcomes. Right. Even if it hurts in the moment, it is still the best of all possible worlds for you to embrace the truth. And so that's what Jesus is calling people to. And even when you get 90% of the way there, it's still better than like not embracing that at all. Yeah. And we've removed faith from reality so much because faith does the impossible. And so there's certainly an element to that. Um, but it doesn't matter how much, like, I, I love the argument Dallas makes about, like, we, we consider faith as just this fluffy thing. If I just believe it, then it's just going to happen. Like, man, you, behind you is a bunch of skyscrapers. You know, I don't care how much faith I have unless the, an angel saves me, but he also just created reality. Um, if I jump off that skyscraper, I'm going to die. Now, the way we talk about faith today is, but if you believe you'll float, no, you won't. You're going to fall to the face of the earth and get smacked. Right. And so faith is actually tapping into true reality, like gravity and believing it to be true. Things like sexual lifestyle, things, all these things, God has declared there is a reality and abundance comes from submitting to that is what we're both. Think about, think about Abraham for a minute, Mm -hmm. right? Abraham is given this child, the father of faith. He's given, he's given this promised child. And when he goes up the mountain, it's like he's unfazed. If you think about it, he's sort of this unfazed person because he knows what reality is that God promised this child through him, many nations, like he would become the father of nations at that point. Mm -hmm. And so he walks in faith. That was the ultimate reality he was walking in. Correct. And so when he gets there, he knows that God will provide another way whether it was resurrecting his son, whether it was providing the ram in the bushes, like whatever it was going to be, he had enough faith to know that like, this is the reality I need to step into and walk. So going back to what you were saying, is it in line with God's will for me to just jump off buildings? Probably not. It doesn't really make a lot of sense because God calls us to do certain things. And it's not to say that it all has to be listed out exactly in the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. What I am saying is, that God has a purpose for what we are doing in life. It's to glorify him. Well, I don't know how jumping off buildings does that, maybe. Um, But what I think is really important is to understand that when you start to really dive into the upside down kingdom of God, the reality of God, your life has to become more oriented around that. Yeah. So you stop with some of these things. Like for me, there were times in life when I would question things or, or wonder how, how is it that this could possibly be true? And the first place that I had to start was actually just submitting to the authority of scripture hmm. and the reality that I don't understand everything and that the kingdom of God is completely backwards. Right. He's asking me to embrace things that don't make any sense. He's asking the way me, of the lamb, not the way of the lion. Right. right. And so for me, I had to learn that that was the starting point. Um, and then all of the things started to shift and you started to see things differently. Reality came much more clearer into view at that point. I love the Dallas Willard quote, uh, faith is not opposed to knowledge. It is opposed to sight. 
I think that's the critical yeah. thing. So sight, Abraham would say, show me how. I'll kill him, but you have to show me what the answer is. But he didn't need he didn't need that, or he didn't ask for yeah. that. He, but he knows God is a good God. He knows he keeps his covenant promises, right? He bases it off knowledge. If he's calling me to do this, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know reality. And so that's, so, so let's bring this back. Cause I want to bring another about grace is not opposed to effort as opposed mm-hmm. to earning. So hold on to that. So I don't forget it, but to go with the three practices that are gateways. So we think Sabbath is like, we started, that was number one. Cause I, I've realized I can't, there's so much I want to teach our people. They're just, they, we haven't slowed down enough to even listen or to even try these things. Like, it's like, I didn't start with scripture reading because I'm like, our people don't have time for it. So Sabbath was a lot of, let's look at our time. You know, how are we spending our days? Audit your behaviors, right? So we started with Sabbath. Then we introduced scripture because I think, you know, if our culture is a, is a world of hurry, but it's also a world of lies, right? And so this was, the tagline was the way of truth in a world of lies. We desperately need truth. We desperately need to cling to an authority above us, as you had just mentioned, uh, surrendering to the authority of scripture. And so that's been really fun. But now we're going to be talking about the third thing. This third one, I think, is still foundational, a gateway to help us do all these other practices we're going to talk about in the future. And it's this practice of simplicity. We're taglining it as the way of contentment in a world of consumption. And so I have found with with simplicity, um, for me personally, we're, 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 we think of simplicity, and, I, and this is when you're going to start to, we're going to go a million different directions. But simplicity for me in my own life as I've been working through this. In 2018, it was introduced. Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster helped me. Then I read um, The Freedom of Simplicity by Richard Foster. Dallas Willard talks about frugality a lot. I've really found in my own life as I kind of audited my behavior the last six months, it's um, digital simplicity. Uh, my mind is... Like, I love the Lord, but I become double-minded because I'm just, like, yesterday, you know, or this last week we went and saw Mission Impossible. I watch a video about how he did that real stunt, and then I see another behind the scenes, and then I, I'm in a rabbit trail, and my mind is not focused, right? And it's just entertainment, but two hours later, you know, and now I can't sermon prep. I can't think even correctly about the needs for my neighbor because I'm just exhausted, right? I have fog. Uh, scripture warns a lot against double-mindedness, and I think the practice of simplicity protects us from that. But then you have material simplicity, which is really big, and I'm excited for you to talk about that because I know that you've been teaching me a lot. Um, even this office doesn't look like it did like two weeks ago because I'm like, I don't need it. So I'm going to give this away or throw this away, and we're even doing different microphones because I'm like, ah, it's less clutter. And it's amazing how even just less clutter focuses your mind. But I was thinking with material simplicity, you know, not only do we have an issue of double-mindedness, but we have a dis- an issue of, of thinking we have double masters, right? The master of, of Christ and of money. And Jesus says, here's the reality. You can't do both at the same time, right? You can't both serve both God and mammon. And it wasn't even, I feel like in that moment when Jesus was talking, it was just a truth state. It's just reality, right? It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter. No, it's true. Like you're either serving God or you're serving money and you cannot figure out how to do both. You can use the label that it's Christian and and whatever, but at least all sorts of corruption. And the last one that I've been really, (laughs) you know me, so it makes sense, but really convicted about is conversational simplicity about how often am I trying to impress somebody, exaggerate, you know, or even talk about myself more than the other person. So simplicity has all sorts of different layers. Um, 
So I wanted to begin to talk about that, but this other thing about grace, and then we'll run to that. This is the worst conversation. I'm a terrible host. Here we are. This is My the nature apologies. of all of our conversations. This is our conversation. And so you guys are just getting a, a chance to tune into what happens on a weekly basis. This is so. why I don't wing it on Sundays. I have to write it out because I have to see on paper, oh, this actually flows because my mind doesn't flow naturally. But I think for the purpose of this conversation today, it, it is helpful that you and I are both on this same journey. Yeah. And we, we have not arrived. And so it'd be mm. very easy in this conversation for either one of us to put on this, here's the thing that I've mastered. Here's the or formula. Here's, yeah, here's the formula of those things. It is it is a journey and it has ups and downs. You go backwards and forwards on all of these things. Yes. Um, and that's the important part to remember is that over the long arc, yes, there is there should be forward momentum and progress. So we want that long arc. However, that long arc isn't as pretty as we think it is. And it looks a little bit more like this along the way. Yeah. Um, and so as we talk more, I, I, I do want to make sure that we highlight that, that these are things that I want to share as much in here's how I have failed in this yeah. as I have succeeded in this. Well, that's why I enjoy talking to you. Cause again, this is five years ago when I really began to reorient my life around different practices and habits. And so it's been fun to go five years in, you mentioning some things of like, I remember telling myself that five years ago and I forgot, or, you know, like it's been good. Or some of this stuff I've just kind of got been exhausted from. I'm not trying this anymore, but I'm seeing you find life and life in abundance in it going, oh yeah, you know, like I fasting, I need to jump into that again. You know, like that was like huge for my life, um, which I could argue that that could be one of the three gateways. But anyways, um, so grace, this is why a lot of people don't want to talk about practices and I think it's especially clear with something like simplicity is Dallas Willard says grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. And so it can so easily, the practice of simplicity or any of these Sabbath, certainly scripture reading, God loves me because I read my Bible today, right? It can so quickly be morphed and twisted into a, a posture of earning. I think one key tagline we're gonna have for the practice of simplicity is it's not removal to get approval, but it's making space for God's grace. How have you worked through that? Th those are kind of some of my phrases I say to our people all the time, not removal to get approval, making space for God's grace. It's not about uh, earning, but it is. it does take effort, right? Like we do need to be intentional. And there's some other ways or, you know, metaphors it's something that I know the devil's going to keep trying to tempt our people with to either go self-righteous and go, man, I have these practices down. God loves me because I do them. Or, you know, uh, what's the opposite of self-righteousness, right? Like self-condemnation. Mm -hmm. I can't Sabbath. I'm overwhelmed. I'm a single mom. There's no way I can do any of this. God doesn't love me, right? How have you been able to, to keep that compass pointing north as you've been seeking to implement new lifestyles? Because we both grew up in a context where I think you know, some of this stuff is kind of warned against because self-righteousness is a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. I think it started for me with that quote of this idea of, okay, effort has to be applied, right? That was a huge unlock for me because it was so much of that thing that we talked about in the beginning of it's just faith. If you believe more, it'll work itself out, et cetera. That didn't apply to my homework, Right. right. That didn't apply to any other area of my life, but somehow with spirituality, we reduced it down to it's just the belief mechanism and it doesn't really matter like the lifestyle. And you're trying to live. It's not that you're not trying to live that lifestyle, but for some reason it didn't make sense. So for me, the last probably year and a half or so has just been incredibly formative. Um, 
in a, a myriad of different ways. So let's let's break it down. We'll we'll try to stick to some sort of uh, timeline here. <laughs> so for me, um, a couple of things. One was we we are going through currently like this adoption thing, right? Um, and I won't say much about it other than in the fact that like when you jump into this, you're jumping in with both feet and it's going to reveal a lot of things. So here's the way that I have looked at it over the last uh, year and a half. Every time I'm either doing a practice, right? Or every time uh, some big crisis moment comes up, it is nothing more than a revealer of what's actually in my heart. Mm. So for me, whether it's the practice of simplicity, I didn't start there uh through a Christian lens. It actually started for me, oddly enough, through just like minimalism and starting to like get rid of things. And, but I bought this line of less, but better. Right. Okay. Um, and that was a helpful thing for me. It was a guy, uh, he used to be the, the kind of lead designer for Braun. Um, it's where Johnny Ive, if you know anything oh, cool, about yeah. Apple, took a lot of inspiration, all that fun stuff. But it was this idea of less, but better. How can we make something, um, as transparent to what it is as possible. And that translated into like, okay, I kind of like this minimal aesthetic thing. And then I started looking into minimalism. And what I was finding there were two camps. There's like this extreme version where it's like, I will have nothing. (laughs) And my goal is to have nothing. Asceticism. Correct. Yeah. And then there's this idea of, okay, minimalism is an even playing field and it doesn't matter how much you have. So if you were to come over to my house, you'd be like, you're not a minimalism. You have too many books. Okay. I probably do have too many books, but I'm keeping them. And here's why. Minimalism is not some goal to achieve, right? It is a way of clearing out your life to make room for the things that matter most. Mm -hmm. And so going back to this thing of, I was on this track and then it was like, man, this lines up the more I started reading Jesus again over and over of like, okay, what are you actually saying? He is trying to point at reality and he is trying to say, this is what really matters most. You're getting hung up on X, Y, and Z. You read Matthew 5 through 7 and he's showing you all the main things that human beings get hung up on and twist reality. Yeah. So for me, I'll make a provocative statement. It became a thing where I don't know how to be a Christian and have a smartphone. Okay. Not because I think they're inherently evil. It's because I don't know how to navigate it. I lived that world of being fully inundated by it. I mean, if people know the people who know you, you were like the Apple guy, you worked for him for a decade or so. That was my, that was my identity. It was the Apple guy. Like everybody was like, for you to say that. Correct. So, (laughs) um, and so everybody's like, now, now they come back at me and they're like, well, you got to start it on all this stuff and now you've left it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh It's my fault. But it, it's this thing of, I don't know how to do it. And here's why I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to make space for what God is doing in my life when I'm constantly distracted by something. Double mind, right? Double mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was looking at different options. This was like three or four years ago of looking at a dumb phone. And this again, wasn't the start of it wasn't uh, inherently a Christian practice. It was literally, I'm just trying to like make some space and some room. And this seems like a great place to start. It seems like there's a lot of distractions. I had already gotten rid of social media and all these things. And let me just say right here, I'm not telling everybody to go jump ship. This took me years to get to this point. It was a slow incremental. And here's the the key phrase for me now, which is what is keeping me from the reality of the kingdom and worshiping Jesus. 
Mm. Right. And so if you just start going and cutting everything, you will be right back to where you were very quickly because it's really easy to just get rid of everything and then just let everything kind of creep back in. It's very different to sit there and take the slow route and go, why does this keep me from Jesus? Mm. Right. And asking yourself those reflective questions. And so I don't recommend that anybody make quick, like easy strokes unless it's something obvious. If it's obviously blatantly sinful yeah. and you need to cut it out, by all means do that. There's, you should not walk in sin any longer. But at the same time, so much of it is a, a subtle thing. Have you read Abundant Simplicity by Jan Johnson? No. Wonderful book. I just finished it on Kindle the other day. And she gives so many practical, like here's where you should start. You know, look at one item in your house that you really love and give it to someone, mm -hmm. you know, like, but she says that she's like, look, don't run past and just get rid of stuff and move on. She goes, it's really, it's a deeper, like, you're not going to really change from that. It's the questions. Mm -hmm. Why do I find so much significance from this? What do I hope people think about me because I do this, this, right? Those reflective questions that really is what leads to breakthrough and, and putting, applying grace into your own life. Absolutely. For me, when it came to like a smartphone, it wasn't this this big, um, man, you're doing this this really bad stuff on here. It you and I are the, similar. Like we're just like um, info junkies, Yes, right? absolutely. <laughs> like I want to know the answer to all the questions. I'm the guy who was, did you know? Like I love that. I yeah. love being that in that conversation, right? And so this has been part of, part of the, the most humbling piece of it is by getting rid of it, it has taught me humility in a way that I didn't understand it would. I have to ask for help, right? On my way over here, I just told you this. It was great. On my way over Show here. Oh, <laughs> uh, hang on. On my way over here, I had to print out some instructions to get myself here. Uh, you have to blur that out for the internet so that people can oh. come get you. Um, have you heard? Pizza guys come all the time when I'm live. There's a guy who trolls me and he right. sends pizza, but it's not free. I have to pay for it. <laughs> Every time that's I'm amazing. Going, so I stopped going live. That's amazing. I'm tired of paying for pizza. But keep that's going. amazing. <laughs> but it's, I have to ask for help more than I thought I would. I can't document every moment of my life. It started this ripple effect by getting rid of my smartphone that it highlighted all of these things. So there's kind of this two ways to approach it, right? There's the slow reflective way that got me to the point of being able to jump in with two feet and pull the trigger. There's a lot of things you need to consider. It may be your job. It may be like if you drive around a lot, if you're an Uber driver, whatever it may be, you can't just dump the stuff. You have to, it has to be a well-considered thing. But the ripple effect of that is once I started doing that, I was like, man, there's this itch to go satisfy my craving for knowledge all the time. What if I didn't satisfy that itch? What would my life look like? And so I started actually spending more time looking at long-term things. It's not just like the quick hits, but rather it's like I switched, I told you this before, but I switched from uh, podcasts to audiobooks primarily because it was a longer train of thought that just allowed me to expand on a theme for much longer and get out of that quick dopamine hit, that, that cycle of things. It changes the way that your brain actually registers information when we operate like that. And so for me, having been in tech world or any of those things, I realized that while it's not inherently neutral, it doesn't necessarily make it evil, it is shaping you. 
And so this bringing it back to this practice What thing, you consume eventually consumes. Absolutely. And it's not just what you consume, but it's the way in which you consume it. And this is where the practices are really important. There is something fundamentally different about reading something when you're scrolling versus when you're turning a page. Your brain does register it differently. Hmm. I'm not here to say what that difference really is or what it's doing to you, but understand that we don't question the medium through which we receive information anymore. And that's problematic. You should always question, how did I receive this information? So we've talked What is before. their agenda? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Neil Postman talks about this great book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And he basically had talked about the idea of the TV and how we no longer actually talk about it being on the TV. It's just, I watched this. Hmm. We don't question the medium and how the TV itself shapes the way we do this. And he basically predicted Instagram and its influence long before. So if nothing else, question how you're receiving it because it is forming you. Nothing in neut is neutral in life in that way. Whether you wake up early in the morning or you wake up later in the afternoon, etc., that changes the nature of your day. I have even found the digital world, I because I consume as much as you did, I still do. Like I, I've really found this last month. I just been putting it away, and I found so much joy from it. But I thought I knew a lot more than I did, and I've really, especially by podcasting and being a teacher, it exposes. You know, if you heard something like a great story or you know a great piece of data, and then you try to share it with somebody else, you're like, I am fumbling through this thing like nobody's business. I don't know what I'm talking about. Right? It's very embarrassing. But if you're consuming, you're like, I, I now know this forever. But you try to regurgitate, you don't know nothing. And so it has this illusion that we are thinking, we're just consuming, we're not actually thinking through. So your argument is like, no, I'm not going to just not be thinking. In fact, I am now thinking, because I'm processing, meditating. For those in our church, we call Haggah, the Hebrew word, eating this book, right? We're, you're actually taking these things and putting that, them down from your head to your heart, to your bones, right? It's You're thinking through its full implications. Peterson talks about, uh, he uses the example of his dog gnawing on this bone, yep. right? And you guys have probably talked about that before, and I love that. And it's actually helped me a lot to slow down because often the cycle that I was in is like, okay, what's the next great nugget? So let me read yeah. as quickly as I can through the scripture to find the next verse to highlight, and I'm on to the next nugget, and then I'm just going to keep looking for the rest of them. But did I apply the first one? Mm -hmm. Did I actually do anything with the first one? Probably not. I'm just right. on to the next thing. And so I think that's something that's really important for, for all of us to truly understand is you have to slow down enough to apply something. So the way I explain like how we learn things is like sort of in three rough phases, right? When you're a kid and somebody points out and says, that's a tree, you're like, cool, that's a tree. And then you start to kind of like figure out, okay, well, there's more than one kind of tree. And it's like, you know, we all draw the same tree when we're all little. It has like little squigglies and stuff. And then this middle phase is it starts to get confusing because you actually start to understand that a tree is more than just like maybe this stuff. It's actually made up of molecules, atoms, all these things. I'm not a scientist, but you get the idea. Right. And it gets really complicated. And then there's this third phase of knowledge like actually understanding what it was that you could break something down to a molecular level and you could understand it at that level and you can also look at it and say this is a tree and here's why we live in a world where we just know that it's a tree we couldn't tell you the first thing about what composes a tree 
how it's made up, nor could we then turn around and explain it. So we live somewhere in the first two phases in most of our lives because of the way that we consume material. It's a perfect example. There's a comedian. I think it's the funniest joke. They're like, you know, this time machine thing, right? And it's like, yeah, let's say if I go back 100 years. And then I say, yeah, you, there's this thing called a phone. What A phone, what does it do? Oh, and you explain it. You're like, so how does it work? I don't know. You know, like, how do you make it? What's it made of? I have no idea. Like, you would actually be of no help, at, you know, 100 years ago, how to actually push the ball forward yeah. on any of these. We just use them. You know, I don't know. The lights just turn on. I don't know how it works, right? We, there's so much that we just do. We don't know any. And, you know, it's not like we're supposed to know all things, but there's almost nothing in life that we've really deeply thought. We, we don't know anything deeply. That's probably the way to, to put it. Right. It's we're we're on to the next book instead of rereading the book again. There are certain books. Yeah. So so to bring it back around to like this practice and let's talk about stuff a little bit. Yeah. Um I reread certain minimalism books every year. Can you are you uh these are, are you comfortable? These are not recommended per se. That's okay. I can't endorse all of what's inside of but them. But there are layers of truth in it. There are layers of truth in them. Yeah. So one of them is called Goodbye Things. Okay. Um, I don't agree with a lot of it. Um, he gets, I'll give you a funny example. He gets down to the point where he has one towel and this one towel is used for both his body, his dishes and cleaning the floor, etc. <laughs> I cannot go there. And, and that's just not for me. Um, right. However, what he does talk about is a lot of attachment, right? So I just recently reread it. Um, and what it causes me to want to do is examine why I'm holding on to the things I'm holding on to, right? Marie Kondo, great place to start. Like what sparks joy? You can take that in a couple of different ways. Um, I don't think material things are bad. I think they're bad when they keep you from Jesus for some reason. Yeah. I mean, Gnosticism is one of the oldest heresies that all materialism is bad. We're certainly not. Yeah. So I think, I think that's also a great place. Now she tends to go on like the organization side, um, which is totally fine. You should organize your house if you're so inclined. Um, but I've also found organized people have control issues, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you might not need to be organizing everything. You need to remember pastor spirituality. You're not fully in control, right? There's a dark side. to Absolutely. That. And so for me, um, I, I'm in project management. So control feels like a natural extension of what I do. However, I'm not in control, right? And so it's a great reminder to me all the time. I mean, it's it's that tension. Remember when I said that our lives surface things that are actually in our heart. Mm -hmm. So when I go to those control places, like it it surfaces way too often in in ways that I hate, but I, I need to kill those things inside of me. It's the sin that, that I need to kill. And so that's bringing this idea of, whether it's simplicity or minimalism or that type of stuff, when it comes to stuff, what am I holding on to? So one of the things that, that he does talk about in that book, um, Goodbye Things, is that our things are not our memories. And that is such a big thing because I am somebody who imbues objects with memories. My wife will love that you're telling me this. <laughs> I have so many items that I will not get rid of because I'm a nostalgic person and I have a memory associated with that shirt, that blanket, mm-hmm. those shoes, that signed jersey, absolutely. So keep going. So <laughs> my the, wife wants you to. <laughs> the question is, are those things keeping you from Jesus in some way? Are you prizing those things? Are you storing up for yourselves treasures on earth? Right? Or is it treasures in heaven? Sounds biblical. It sounds biblical. Uh, And so that's where like this crazy thing, and and this is that 90% thing, right? 
Minimalism will help you get free of material objects. And what you find is a lot of minimalists, they tend to have these other things happen in their life. As you start to clear away clutter, you start to realize what you actually care about even more and you open yourself up to more relationship and that type of thing. So let's let's think about this on a very practical level because I want this to feel practical um, and, and how that influences the spiritual. So let's just take a very simple example. Um, if you had a ton of stuff, okay, in your house and that stuff did not have a place to live. And so it's just kind of spread out all over the place. How likely are you to want to have someone over? Oh yeah. I, all the time we're like, well, the house is too messy. Okay. Let's go to, let's go out somewhere. Sure. And so one of the things we're called to is Christian community, right? To, to welcome people into our home, to show hospitality. Right. That is the nature of it. But our stuff in a very real way keeps us from doing that because we're constantly having to clean up before someone comes over, put a bunch of stuff away. It's very hard to clean because I got to pick up 700 knickknacks to dust, etc. So that's just a silly example. But we never, we all will agree to that, but we never once think I need to get rid of my stuff, right? Mm-hmm. We just think, how can life be with stuff? And it's like, no, or, or with Sabbath too. We talk about that all the time. It's like, I'm exhausted. I'm this, I'm that but there's no way I can take a day off. It's like, no, that is the answer. <laughs> like this will help get to so many other, so many problems are at that, but we we are so lulled or seduced into this way of life. Of course I can't get rid of my stuff. So, so think, I guess that just means I'll never have people over. This is why the, the spiritual disciplines or the practices are not a linear path. Mm. For some people, starting with simplicity of things is a great gateway to get you to Sabbath. And the reason is a lot of times what keeps us from Sabbath is all of the things that we have to maintain, keep, all, all that kind of stuff. Oh, I mean, even as simple as a car payment, now I have to always work overtime because I got this stupid vehicle. Right? Living, living beyond your life, like what you can actually sustain is something most of us are guilty of at some point in our lives. Yeah. But the question becomes, what will you do about it? So when, when talking about practical versus spiritual I don't think they're antithetical to one another. Jesus calls people to very practical things all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, practical steps, sell all your stuff, follow me. Well, okay, I will, but I let me go, let me go take care of like all of, and here's, here comes the excuses. We all have excuses that keep us from doing the right things. Money is one of those things, right? Money, possessions, wealth, like any of those types of things can keep us. And and I'll just tell you, like it it's chokes been, us out, Jesus. Absolutely. Said. Like go through any kind of adoption where things are expensive and there are lawyers involved, and it will reveal what is in your heart. Like, and I say this not because I have done a great job. I say this because it has been one of the biggest revealers in my life of how little I trust God to provide. Mm-hmm. Because I am constantly looking for a way to figure out. How do I make some more money? What can I sell to make sure I can cover this, et cetera? Like what, how do I take care of my family, et cetera? And it's not, it's, it's those moments of when I just stop and go, God, this is in your hands. Like we have, we don't have this. And then it's not going to happen every time, but there have been checks in the mail that people have said, like, I just felt like God said, here you go. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Right. But it's that revealer of who am I actually, so Let's try to let's try to make this helpful for, for people. There's a tangible part 
And it's important to understand that that tangible part, the doing part, is not opposed. So it's effort. Mm -hmm. That is not opposed to grace at all. It is literally a byproduct, byproduct of grace. Which we want it that way, because that means we're being introduced into the story. We're not just these recipients doing nothing. It's like, great, I get to put this in. My life has purpose. Absolutely. I, I get to sweat for something now. Like, it, yeah, sacrifice it brings so much meaning in life. And now Absolutely. we have something to sacrifice for. Yeah. And so that's such, a, that's such a big piece of it. But it's the earning piece, right? And earning looks different depending on on where you are in the spectrum of like your spiritual disciplines or how long you've been walking with Jesus, et cetera. Stuff is a great revealer of where you're trying to earn God's love. Mm -hmm. Simplicity is one of the greatest revealers of where you're trying to earn. Give me an example. So why do you read your Bible? Okay. Because Sunday's coming, I have to preach. No, Sunday's coming and you have to <laughs> preach. Okay, but that's a real thing, that's right? sometimes a real thing. Sometimes that's a real thing because that's part of the confusion of that's my job. Yeah. And that's my that's my calling and that's my vocation and it's messy, right? And, and if you're not careful, you miss the opportunity. But like, why do I read my Bible? Is it because God wants me to? Okay, yeah, that's good because I want to hear his voice. But if I'm not careful, I start to tick off the boxes of I've done it every day and i've missed the point of why i do it yeah so we put it that way all the time we say um like let's say bible reading is not marking off tallies for god it's marking out time with god and that that shift you have to remind yourself all the time but there's certainly a temptation so in our area there's a lot of people who are former lds that now go to our church and so and you don't even have to be former that just to be human like that earning thing is always there and so we've even found some people, it's so sad, but in our own congregation have gone through a lot of suffering. And one temptation for them is to think, okay, let me mitigate the suffering. Let's not have another miscarriage. Let's not lose another job. Let's not, whatever the case may be. And then they say, I'm going to read my Bible every day. God's going to be so proud of me and love me that I'll never have that suffering again. And it's, it leads to the worst letdown when it happens again. Mm -hmm. You know, and and when that's not pastored or, or thought through carefully, it's the very thing that pushes them away from the church. Like I tried this practice thing, my life never changed, and so I'm just done. So take the stuff thing, take the Bible thing, and let's mesh it together for a second. I need to read my Bible so that I understand reality. That's that's part of it for me. Is I need to know what truth actually is because I am being inundated by all kinds of ulterior messages. Okay, so that's a very practical thing. What keeps me from doing that? Well, I have, let's just say, and again, start, like this is probably a John Mark Comer quote. I've heard it so many times, but basically like start with where you are, not with where you think you should be. Yes. Okay. Jan Johnson says that a lot. Too, yeah, it's it's abundance. basically it, it's it's literally just trying versus training. Where yes. are you at? What's your next step? So when it comes to this, of what keeps me, I can't, in good conscience, binge TV shows for very long, without it having a tangible effect on my life. I become a person I don't love. Hmm. Right. So I have to cut that out if I'm trying to make room for the Bible reading and actually getting that truth into my heart, into my mind, into my soul. It's very practical. So for me, I can't, I'm not disciplined enough to just turn it off. 
Like, I'm just not. Like, you give me only... one Pringle, the whole box is correct. Done. Like, like it's it's that thing, and I don't think we want to admit just how much we struggle with things. Like, we're we're fine when it's kind of that casual, acceptable behavior in life. It's like, oh yeah, we probably shouldn't have eaten that much or whatever. Like, there are certain socially acceptable things, like gluttony is one of those, and it's fine. But if I stop long enough and I go, okay, how do I actually practically and tangibly move forward? I probably just need to have fewer TV options. I need to, or at least have a space where there is no distraction, right? That small little thing is how you get to Sabbath. It's how you get to more regular Bible reading. It's a small little thing first. First thing is not actually to do it. It's to carve out the time that you're going to do it. And just start getting up and going to that time. Yeah. Then actually carve out the true space, like setting yourself up for success. Mm-hmm. And over time, those things start to materialize. That's why it's practice and it's not just a one size fits all just shot. And it's like all of a sudden I'm there. I, I love the point Jan Johnson makes and I practiced it a few weeks ago. I've, this has been a change. You reminded me when you said making space and doing something different. Jan Johnson actually mentioned sometimes simplicity means you buy more because it enables you to do less. So for example, for me, I realized, so in my book, The Non-Anxious Pastor, uh, you should read it one day, uh, it's called, I I call it 510 to win and 510 for them. So 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. in the morning, I'm not on any digital, social media, anything, because this is my time with the Lord. I go prayer walk, I work out. Like it's very much, I'm taking care of myself and my thoughts and my leadership so that I can best serve my family, my church, all those things, right? Five to 10, Kerry Newhoff, and I know you know a lot about this, he talks about energy levels and like the most productive human beings in the world are only productive five hours a day. So I'm like, okay, let me give God like, okay, those five hours, because I'm a morning person, I'm most productive five to 10 a.m. So I'm not going to introduce any distractions in my life. And for me, it's digital that distracts me. Like you said, it's not bad, but it's crazy. I have really noticed because I've been doing this more of a practice. So when I slip on those days, I see immediately how it drains me. Right, like just a Mission Impossible uh, review. Watch it. Thought it was interesting. Oh yeah, I did. I didn't think about that about the movie. And now I'm like, I, I don't. I'm not motivated to write my sermon. Like it. It doesn't take much to to push you off of the path. Right. Five ten for them is five p.m. to ten p.m. I'm off all digital because I need to be with people. This is my time for my girls time for my wife. Right. And so I am not present if I'm engaged on my phone or what have you. What I've done to help me stay away from my phone even more, I haven't gone the full thing getting a dumb phone or a light phone, but I have a Kindle now. So sometimes there's times where me and my wife at night are just sitting there. And so we like to just kind of read in each other's presence. I don't know. It's just our thing, right? And so now that I have a Kindle, I can actually read and keep reading and not get pulled into another thing. And now I'm watching reels and cracking up, right? So like the Kindle, I I had to buy a Kindle in order to abstain, actually, ironically, from media and devices and all those sorts of things. So I'm actually really gl- glad I've done that practice. I'm reading way more. I'm a lot less cluttered in my thoughts. And so that's just one simple example. Sometimes simplicity actually takes you purchasing something new for the sake of abstaining. You know, And so that's been really I'll, helpful. I'll give you a, a dumb, simple example. You might need to water the back of the house right? The yard in the back of the house, probably not so much in Arizona, but where I live in Tennessee, that mm-hmm. that's the thing. We so just I, need have to, rocks. I need to water the back and I need to water the front. I have one hose. Okay. 
So there's something about that that's like, okay, cool. Like it's it's a discipline thing. Like I can I can just have one hose and really that's all I need. But I can also waste a lot of time and stuff may actually take me three times longer to do that, mm-hmm. which robs me of time. You're always trading stuff and time mm. a lot. And so this is why it's not a goal. Like minimalism or simplicity itself is not the goal. The goal is how do I become more like Jesus? How do I become more about the things of Jesus? Orient my light, orient my entire life around those things, right? And so, yeah, like sometimes you need to buy some stuff. If I want to have more people over, I probably need more than one plate, right? Mm. If I want to have people in my home, probably need some more plates at that point. Maybe you buy paper plates, whatever it happens to be. Right. But what is it that you're doing? to make space for the things of Jesus? What is it that you're doing to actually orient your life around the things that you say that matter most? That's really the question, ultimately, like if you can get that in your heart and in your mind, it starts to reveal the things that are keeping you from that. What I love about the simplicity, because it is a, it's more of an abstaining practice than it is like a do, you know, like adding. Sometimes it's adding, we just gave some examples there. But I love that that adage uh, at Practicing the Way Comer talks about, we're actually not asking you to do more, we're asking you to do less. Mm-hmm. You know, like we actually want you to come to our church and have more free time on your schedule. Um, I would love to think that if I were to really practice Sabbath, Scripture, simplicity, let's just stay with those three, and my girls grow up and they graduate, I'll have a sense of fulfillment and, and a sense of gratitude and not, because I'm a nostalgic person, like, Um, you know, if it's me or my wife crying for like the kindergarten graduation, it's me, you know, like, so that's, so I really, I actually struggle a lot. And I was working through this this morning in the scriptures because Paul was like, man, my life, it is, you know, I, I, I'm just here for the gospel. I know that prison's coming my way. I know that more suffering, but who, who, what is my life? You know, it's just for the, if I just need to seek and pursue the goal. I was like, man, that's so hard for me because the finality of life is hard. The shortness of it. I hate, um, I think a lot about my kids. I only have 10 summers left with Faith, you know, before she moves. Like that stuff rocks me. But I'd like to think, of course, there's going to be an element where it's going to hurt, but I'd like to think if we put forth something like Sabbath simplicity, even just those two, I can say, you know what? I, we didn't waste our time with her. She is the woman that we've always desired her to be. And we're so excited to see her go and go to the next stage. You know, I just know that's going to be one of my particular temptations is to want to hoard them and keep them forever. Right. Um, but I'd like to think there will be a sense of fulfillment and contentment by doing these practices now that in 10 years, I'm more than happy to send her away. If you felt any sort of like tension rise up when, when, when Trey said 10 summers, okay. Mm. That's something I want everybody to focus in on a little bit. You should look for those moments of, I don't want to confront reality. You should in some ways find comfort because you now know what it is that you have, right? And what you'd be missing out on. But if we blow past that thing of like, I only have this many summers left, et cetera, right? Okay, if that's true, right? Those, those who've gone through, whether it's cancer or some kind of diagnosis, like when your life changes and you think, okay, this is how long I have left, what immediately happens? You start to change the way you live. 
you start to reorient your life around things that matter most. If you've always wanted to travel, you see people traveling and doing all this stuff. They start to throw off the weight that they've been carrying their entire life and truly in a singular fashion chasing those things. Right? They say people with terminal illnesses are among the happiest people, which you, is so you, hard for me to fathom, but they've stop, just changed their life. Yeah, yeah, you stop trying so much to impress people or you stop trying to be someone else or do things just because that's what's expected like of you. Like an apocalypse happens, right? You, mm -hmm. It's unveiling of what really is real. So imagine if we, in the same way that some people got a little bit uncomfortable with the 10 summers. Imagine we took Jesus seriously enough to say, I'm coming back soon, be ready. Imagine we actually felt the same level of anxiety or the same level of urgency inside of us. And we started to orient our lives around the things that matter most. Mm. Why is it that when we travel, like I'm here on, on a week long vacation, like I, so much of, of my life is left behind back in Tennessee but I don't really need it. This is the first time in 15 years I've traveled without an internet connected device. And yes, I know there's gonna be a lot of email when I get home that I've gotta check through and all those kinds of things, but it's also so much more freeing. I, I have less in my mind that's cluttering it and I've had better, uh, f deeper thoughts, if you will, um, better time connecting with family because I'm not sitting there trying to just entertain myself or in my case, less entertainment and more of scratch the itch of like, oh, we were talking about this. I should look that up and I should know this and I should right. know this. It doesn't mean I don't borrow my wife's phone. It doesn't mean that I don't, uh, you know, get on a computer and look stuff up here and there. But it's on the whole, right? Your day-to-day -day matters more than some of these big momentous occasions, yeah. right? Every day adds up to more time than a singular event in your life. You know, um, I'm really blessed. My father has a, our, our whole family now has a cabin up north and everybody's jealous. They're like, how cool is that? That you can disconnect from the world and you can go and just read and whatever. And it's so funny because it's like, yeah, that is like a privilege certainly, but also you can disconnect from the world right now. Like, so most of us agree there's something beautiful about stepping away, but we never take the next step and think I can step away. I can now in these little minute practices. Absolutely. And it's, I think it's because we are caught up in this, what I would consider a voyeuristic society mm. where we're always watching what someone else has. We're always watching the way someone else is living. And we're like, if I only had that, then I could like, if I only had the cabin, then I could right. unplug and escape. Right. I only had, you know, X, Y, and Z amount of money. Then I would be happier. Like, in some cases, yes, maybe a little more money would, and I don't want to discount that because sometimes, yes, money can make you happy. However, it's up into a point. Roughly $80,000 is like yeah, that's the where rough, the data shows. The data yep. shows. Mm -hmm. But more than that, I think the important part is looking at those things of what is it that I am using as an excuse um, instead of starting today, mm -hmm. right? instead of doing something simple. So I'll give you a tangible example. I did this a few years ago. I started getting rid of clothes that I just didn't like, okay? Clothes that like everybody else wanted me to like, or sometimes they bought me, or things that I bought wanting to be someone else other than who I was. And I went to a very simple wardrobe. I asked myself, what's my favorite thing to wear on an off day? Well, it was always uh, black jeans and a black t-shirt. 
And so that's what I went to, right? The reason I did that was because I was tired of spending so much time just in the start of my day trying to decide things. It was very practical. Like I was wearing myself out just to put together things. And I and I got to a point where I asked myself, why am I doing this? Like, And like Zuckerberg does the same thing, sure. right? Yeah, yeah there's, there's plenty of, of, of like research out there like having sort of a uniform. Or if you want to start a little bit easier, a capsule wardrobe. You have certain great pieces that you love. They fit you well, all of that kind of stuff. And then you might have a couple different for the seasons. Here it's a little bit different, obviously. In Tennessee, you need seasonal uh, wardrobes and things like seasons. that. Seasons. What, yeah. what are seasons? Yeah, it's a thing. You should come experience it. Oh, okay. Um, but, but here's the thing. Like when I packed for this trip, I packed what I had, not what I thought I should have or what might be useful, etc. I only had these options, right? That was it. That's a, that's a freedom and a simplicity to not get distracted by other things. It's simple. It's stupid. It's, it's, it's a tangible thing though. And if you can do some of those things, it kind of bolsters your courage to try some of the bigger things, right? Right. Jesus didn't have a bad looking tunic. Do you know how I know that? Because they didn't rip it. They sold it. They were, uh, it was, the crucifixion. Yeah, it was good enough to gamble over. Right. They were gambling. over. Okay. So if that's the case, it doesn't mean that you have to dress, um, you know, pretty baller. like terrible, right. right? Like you can dress well, you can dress in those things. But the question is, what is in your life that you are trying to emulate someone else and not emulate the life and way of Jesus? Yeah. Simplicity goes a lot at, so, you know, Enneagram, that was like the big thing for a while. And so I first thought I was seven for the longest time. And then I realized, oh gosh, I'm a three, you know, like I have a lot of image issues. And so kind are you of processing surprised, Trey? That. What? Are you surprised, I know, Trey? I'm actually, I should have been happy with that. It's <laughs> my favorite number. I like to tell ever. I'd like to tell my wife I'm a 10 because I'm a seven and a three. But anyways, um, she's a nine and a one. So she's a 10 too. But with the three thing, so like getting rid of stuff. Um, I read this in Jan Johnson's book. I can't recommend that book enough. But she gave her own personal story. Um, but I don't want to be offensive, so I'll uh, relate it to a, to a man. And so looking at a wardrobe, I realized I actually got rid of – last month I got rid of over half of my stuff. We just donated it to Goodwill. But I realized some of the, the clothes I couldn't get rid of, not because I had a memory – um, not because I like won a state championship in it or whatever or somebody I loved gave it to me. It was a reminder that I probably, I, I kept it because I thought maybe I'll lose that much weight and fit in that shirt again. And it was like a death to self of going, oh, that's not who I am anymore. Now, again, you can take that the wrong way and be like, good, I'm going to eat whatever I want. That's not what I'm saying, right? But it is like some of the stuff we hold on to because it's like in our mind, that's who we are or we can be that person. It's an image thing and, and that's what gives us confidence and it's like, no, there's no way I'm going to fit in this medium ever again. You know, I was 20. I'm 31 now. You so know, that just highlights this thing of we don't want to confront reality. Yeah. And right. it's, it's pervasive throughout our entire life. And this conversation. Mm -hmm. And so we, <laughs> I think the more that we on these smaller ways, like it, it makes a, an inroad for understanding the sin in our lives. I don't think it's an accident that God, uh, through through the words of Jesus, said, "You cannot serve both God and money." Mm -hmm. Okay, if that's a statement of reality, He is tapping into something that is so 
easily used to sway us yeah. from serving God on such small little levels. And that could be something as simple as that. Like, do, do I need the extra shirt to sit in my closet that I may or may not ever get to wearing? Or could it go on someone who actually needs a shirt's back? Like, these are the types of questions. And again, you don't start here. You don't just start with, man, I just all of a sudden need to sell all my possessions. That usually doesn't end very well because you're just doing it as a reactionary thing. Mm-hmm. Unless Jesus says, sell all you have. Then and there have been moments <laughs> when it was very clear and very uncomfortable that God was saying, you know, that money that you were blessed with, you need to give that away. Mm. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. Because here it was, the security that I thought I just received is now meant to be given away. Yeah. And it's like, who do you trust more? Right. And I think that's the thing is that God provides these things. Like they, he provides us with all of these, these blessings and he provides us with all of these opportunities to reveal. Like that's the part that I would want myself earlier, 10 years ago to grasp on. These opportunities and these moments where life kind of crushes you are opportunities to truly reveal what's in your heart and who you're truly serving. And they're a gift, but it's not a gift that I always want. Mm -hmm. I like the gifts where I have a lot and it's like easy to like bless other people because I've got some stuff or it's easier because it's like, well, I have too many. So let me just give you one and it's no skin off my back. It is much more difficult to be the widow who gave this much and she had this much, Right. right? Like that is a true blessing. And so it's, here's, here's my new thing that I'm, I'm wrestling with my book collection. Why do I have it? Well, it's to help me learn. It's to help me grow, but it's also for other people. I must become good about being free of lending my books and not expecting them in return, not expecting that they'll come back in the condition I would prefer they were in, uh-huh. etc. Because otherwise that's attachment to things over the things of God. Yeah. And that's the tension that I'm trying to, to walk is, do I have an attachment to things or do I have an attachment to God that informs how I use and interact with my things? Yeah. I, something you've been saying a lot is, you know, crisis reveals your character, right? Like that is open ultimate revealer. And that actually is a gift, right? Because then you can see reality and you can, the good news is that you can turn to Christ, right? Um, another, that's another phrase we use a lot. Uh, these practices, uh, they're not, they don't, earn me God's love, but they churn me to God's love, right? So it's another way to look at it. But I think psychologists often mention how there's two revealers, crisis and also boredom. And so boredom, if I'm running to social media, you know, I running to adding tasks, cleaning up around the house, like nonstop, there is something in my soul that needs to be tended to. There is a wound. There is a wickedness or a woundedness that's keeping me from full deliverance. And in boredom, it comes up. In silence, with simplicity, I can't. I I can't distract myself anymore, and I got to deal with it. But when I deal with it, is when I heal from it, right? Like when I'm able. So really, that boredom. God uses boredom. He uses crisis to reveal what's really there. And if God is a God of grace and love and he's compassionate and slow to anger, that's good news for him to reveal because he wants to reveal what he wants to heal, right? And so, so many of us are walking around wounded and 
man, we don't give what it, there's, I think it's Ralph Waldo Emerson or somebody about like, you know, uh, most of, most people just can't be alone with themselves. It's yeah. some sort of profound quote, right? Yeah. Like you've really reached health, like the climax of life. If you can be alone and be content, right? And the way of Jesus can actually empower you to do that. Is there any other final things you'd like to mention um, before you sail off to Tennessee? I think the biggest, the other big revealer has been what I would consider this gospel of convenience, right? And it's not just a, not just a Christian gospel version of that, but it's, it's in secular culture and things like that. When you start to simplify your life, when you start to really orient your lives around the kingdom of God, you will be inconvenienced more than you ever thought possible. Today, it was an inconvenience to get here because I don't have just quick Apple Maps or Google Maps like available. The, the I thought Maps hat. was on your phone. It is. There's a whole thing behind that. You got to okay. find, it's got to locate you on the GPS. Like it's not, it's not super fast. Okay. It works where you live but ah, not when you travel as much, it. like it's, it's harder, right? But that's the thing, like it's not as convenient. And so like, I'm forced to do some things that make me uncomfortable, that slow me down. But here's the thing, in detangling myself from so many convenient things, it's forced me to understand what's truly valuable and prioritize my life. So don't be surprised when you are inconvenienced. Don't be surprised when things actually get more difficult when you do this. There are some things that are inherently more difficult now that I have simplified my life, but I'm making space for the things that matter most, but it's harder. Mm -hmm. But that's what we're promised is that it's harder because it's counter the way everyone else is living. We're stepping into a reality the that narrow everyone, way. It's, it's a narrow way. We're stepping into a reality that everyone else is ignoring. The number one reason why I wanted to get rid of my smartphone was because I saw that everyone else was so inundated and so um, mesmerized by this thing that I was like, if I'm ever going to be of use to anyone, I can't be in that stream. Hmm. It's not for everybody to step out of it completely, but I knew that that was what God had for me in my life in that moment was you need to step away and get out of the stream long enough to know what kind of grip it has on you. And when it started to reveal itself and that convenience thing started to erode, it became very real what was truly in my heart. Mm. So don't be surprised, but the key is to turn to the Father mm. who is waiting in love because it's not about earning at that point. Mm -hmm. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There is work involved but the love of the Father is already there. And so it's it's very difficult. Um, I have one person left our church. They're like, you just ask us to do too much, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I get that. Like, I, I do worry about that. But I'm like, but the culture is asking you to do even more, you know? And so and these we are always counter. These are always invitations. No one can yes. force you into this. These are always invitations. Coercion is not a fruit of the Spirit. No. Here's the water. You can drink it or not. And that has been the biggest revealer in my heart doing this series. You know, when they don't do it and I get frustrated. Am I frustrated because they're not practicing Sabbath? Or am I frustrated because it looks bad on me? I'm a bad leader, you know? So like, that's been a huge revealer. Talk about trying to pastor people to do this 
it's a whole nother layer of exposing my own issues. It's been hard and it's hard to still love and have grace. And I, I say it's been hard. It's a, it's an intentional choice. Mm-hmm. And I found a lot of freedom from that. So, um, were you going to, I was going to, it's, it's one of the reasons why, before I agreed to do this, I asked you, how have you practiced simplicity in your own life? Mm-hmm. Because it's very easy for us to talk about those things. Oh, certainly. And just be like, yep, everybody should do it. Like, here's the thing for me, Sabbath is hard right now. With a toddler, it doesn't always work out the way I want it to. I have these ideas of what I wanted in my head to be, and we're still working at it. Like, we're still trying to get there, mm-hmm. um, and that's okay. Yeah. Like, it's it's the effort matters in this case mm-hmm. um, because you're moving towards something. Yeah. And again, it's if if it was all about just, like, earning something, then I would feel terrible all the time. But you know what? I've carved out more time. And I've carved out more space for some of these things. And I can tell you that the last year and a half has been some of the uh, greatest growth that I've had because I have worked to apply these things and not just receive them and move on. And that's the real work is applying them. And I know we hear it a lot in church, just apply it to your life, et cetera. But there is something profound about that. When you take a truth and it moves from your head into your heart and back to your head. And it just becomes this thing that informs the way that you live. Yeah. And you get into these scenarios and you respond the way you wished you always had because mm-hmm. you've practiced along the way. Right. You don't just arrive and it's like if you have anger in your heart, it doesn't just go away in an instant. You have to practice not being angry at little things. Right. And it helps you grow and maintain that discipline, Uh right? And that's not a non-spiritual thing. That's what God calls us to. Jesus practiced things over and over and over. And he had it down from the beginning because he was also fully God. Uh And yet he modeled this life and he calls us to this easy yoke. And that seems so antithetical to our culture and the way that we live. But that's the thing is when it seems hard, when it seems inconvenient, when it seems difficult, press in, keep going, because there is something about that that is a marker on the way to the life that Jesus has for you. I think the two things I have to keep in my mind a lot in my own personal practice and also pastoring people towards the practice is, it is the cost of discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. Right, and so I'm. I can't sugarcoat it. This will be hard. Um, Jesus made sure to say, "Hey, those who try to find their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will find it." So this is absolutely a big part of it, and we have to tell people, "Yeah, it's the narrow way." The reason it's narrow, it, like I love uh, in Israel, in a lot of the places of worship, it's the eye of the needle, right? And a camel can't fit through it. And it's just a literal really small door. And the reason they make you do that, you have to go in, first of all, to keep the animals out, right? But the other is the only way to get into the presence of God, right? The illustration is, is you have to humble yourself, bend down low and crawl through, right? And that's the way of Jesus, this simplicity, Sabbath, all those things. We have to realize, no, this is a call to bow down and crawl through, you know? But the other side of it with Willard, is it's also the cost of non-discipleship. And so just as much as there is a cost, and we need to talk about that, and this is hard. And, you know, for some people, you know, um, they'll never be able to get rid of their phone or whatever. Uh, but, you know, so it's all different varying levels of difficulty. 
but the cost of not doing it is even worse. And I loved how Willard flipped that on its head, right? And it's like, um, man, what happens if you don't get rid of anything? What happens if you never Sabbath? What happens if you don't cling to the scriptures? You know, what happens if you don't live in the way of truth in a world of lies? And so we have to remind ourselves of that. And I think as a community and, and full of grace, but also, hey, you know, like, when it, you know, um, judgment is coming, but it's even just God, the passive wrath, like just the judgment we heap on ourselves because of who we're becoming. So that's another huge element that we're trying to remember and remind our people is the cost of discipleship and the cost of non-discipleship is even worse. Absolutely.